Greetings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Ohio Homebuyer Plus program is now officially up and running. State Treasurer Robert Sprague explains how it's designed to help people afford their piece of the American dream. Also this morning, the last and final open enrollment deadline to secure coverage through healthcare.gov is now less than a week away. Has the exchange been successful in its mission? Could you really be arrested if you're on the road during really bad weather? What every driver needs to know during the winter season. And Bowling Green State University set to honor the late Bill Fratt, Findlay native and legendary benefactor to the Falcons basketball program. We'll have details. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. did you sleep last night this was uh the first thing one of the first things caught my eye on the uh, newswire this morning i thought this was uh, kind of interesting it says the average american loses 113 nights a year to bad sleep that's a lot that's a lot of lost time according to a new survey 65 percent say bad night's sleep is enough to ruin the next day no big surprise there i'm surprised it's only 65 percent you know the other 35 percent <laughs> don't have a bad day after a bad night's sleep Uh, kudos to you um survey goes on to find that anxiety is what keeps respondents up for an average of three hours past their bedtime 58 percent of americans are worried about their health 56 percent are thinking about everything they need to do the next day um some of the common sleep cures that uh, those individuals have tried include Reading, warm milk, melatonin, and CBD. So, for whatever it's worth, there now should be noted that the uh, survey was commissioned by a uh, hemp company. (laughs) CBD is right up there, but 113 nights of bad sleep a year. That is is just uh, alarming. By the way, speaking of uh, things related to CBD and hemp, uh, it's... (laughs) says here if you and this is something to note now that uh, recreational marijuana is legal sort of in ohio they're still working out the the details on this but it's been approved by the voters in ohio and i know a lot of folks first thing in the morning want to do that morning workout 80 percent of cannabis users have mixed weed and working out and a new study has revealed there could be a method to that madness Researchers at the University of Colorado at Boulder conducted a first-of-its-kind study that found smoking weed before hitting the gym increases motivation and enjoyment. (laughs) Participants hopped on treadmills for 30 minutes after uh, using the wacky weed and found not only did the time appear to pass by more quickly, but the workout felt harder than when they ran sober. So, make of that what you will. (laughs) But it is certainly worth knowing this morning, especially if you are uh, set for your morning workout. <laughs> I'm just here to give you the important news of the day, the most important uh, items to start your day, the news stories that might otherwise go overlooked. I want to make sure that you're fully informed. here. Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, this is uh, rather interesting, is the age of the dating app over a survey of college graduates found that 79% of them do not use dating apps 
once a month. The Match Group, which owns a number of dating apps, Tinder, Hinge, Match.com, and OkCupid, has seen its stock go down 40% in one year. People just aren't using dating apps anymore the way they did. Um, Again, 79% of these college graduates are using dating apps once a month or less. Some speculate that the golden age of dating apps is now over. Uh, One TikToker uh, says, if you met your partner on a dating app two years ago, you caught the last uh, great blast of dating app success. It's been going downhill for two years. Common complaints mention the quality of dates, quality of matches, and speculation that apps gatekeep better people with paid features. Uh, One user on the Hinge app says it feels like they're hiding all of the good guys who are actually looking for relationships behind a paywall. So if you're not paying for it, you're not going to get good matches. I don't know. uh, They do have to make money, I suppose, but uh, interesting. Dating apps may be uh, a fad whose time has come and gone. Speaking of technology, did you hear NASA may not be going back to the moon after all, at least not on the time frame that they originally announced? The space agency has announced the upcoming Artemis 2 and Artemis 3 missions will be delayed. They say the launch of Artemis 2 will be pushed back from this coming November to September of next year. That mission features four astronauts who will orbit the moon, and then the Artemis 3 mission, which aims to actually put humans back onto the lunar surface for the first time in, what, some 50 years, um, now has a September 2026 launch date. NASA says testing of spacecraft to be used in these missions has uncovered some technical problems that will require more time to address. And I would have to think that if you are an astronaut uh, on the Artemis mission, you're okay with that. (laughs) You know, take as much time as you need. This is not something you want to have a a problem with once you (laughs) get get out of uh, Earth's atmosphere. You want to make sure that everything is uh, working just fine, thank you. But yeah, it's 2026 now, it looks like, before we uh, land a... Uh, another man on the moon. Um, so, and of course, all of the other uh, Artemis missions have been pushed back accordingly uh, as well. Because they want to send the first uh, female to the moon. Is that Artemis 3? Is that Artemis 4? I don't know. Anyway, there are uh, more uh, flights in the uh, series that are scheduled and they're all being pushed back. But it sounds like a long way from now, long time off now, but you know that you know once we get to that point it'll be uh i mean it'll be here before you know it it just seems like a, a long time now what else do we have going on in the world today a couple of other uh, items among the first things you need to know this morning um ohio is among several states i think it's like three-fourths of states in the u.s uh are seeing uh high spread of respiratory diseases After the holidays, we're talking the flu, RSV, and of course, COVID. Hospitalizations are way up and people, a lot of people are sick. You probably know someone uh, that is in the the throes of some sort of respiratory 
infection or is just getting over it. Um, According to a new study, new research published in the journal Nutrition, Prevention, and Health, vegans are less likely to get COVID-19. If you want to avoid COVID-19, vegan diet will do it. The uh, journal found that a diet low in meat and dairy while rich in veggies, legumes, and nuts could lower the risk by nearly 40%. 40%. Researchers speculate that plant-based diets may offer more nutrients that strengthen the immune system. So, make of that what you will. I've always looked at that. Uh, I go by the old saying that uh, you know, a vegan diet, you may live longer, but you'll have left less to live for. So, it's just me. <laughs> Others swear by it. But, interesting study. I just... Throw it out there for your consideration. And what do you think about this? A new list is out from the folks at Wallet Hub. Now, I love Wallet Hub's list. Uh, whenever they put a list out, I find that uh, really interesting because they usually put a lot of thought into constructing their lists and a lot of data uh, is compiled and factored in to create these lists. Their latest ranks the best and worst states. To raise a family. Wallet Hub looked at factors such as family fun, health and safety, education and child care, affordability, and various socioeconomic factors. And the top five states to raise a family in 2024, Massachusetts, North Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, and New York. I'm not sure how well New York scored on the affordability scale, but there you go. The top five. Number one, Massachusetts, which is not exactly a cheap place to raise a family either, for that uh, for that matter. North Dakota, Minnesota, Nebraska, and New York. Interestingly, all snowy states uh, as well. Um, Arkansas, Alabama, West Virginia, Mississippi, and New Mexico are the bottom five or the worst states to raise a family. And if you are curious, because I was, I looked it up, right about in the middle is where Ohio ranks at number 30 overall. Number 30, which is three spots lower than California, but three spots higher than Michigan. (laughs) So make of that what you will, but you go, the best and worst states to raise a family in 2024. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchak. Your WTOL 11 weather, a chance of rain and snow today. Windy, a high in the mid-30s. Cloudy tonight, a low around 30. The city of Finley has been busy preparing for the solar eclipse coming up in April. Service Safety Director Rob Martin says ensuring it's a safe and enjoyable event for everybody is all about planning and getting everyone on the same page. However, there are still many unknowns. We know the day it's going to happen, the time it's going to happen, and we're going to have an influx of people. But how many people, we don't know. When they come into town and when they're going to leave will all be different, I'm sure. Um, The weather, as you know, early April. Finley is within the path of totality and will experience a total solar eclipse on the afternoon of April 8th. Get more on the city and county's preparations in this story on our website. Five companies have agreed to pay the federal government more than $7 million to settle claims stemming from pollution in northwest Ohio. 
The U.S. Department of Justice says the companies, including Chevron and Ohio Refining, are accused of dumping oil or hazardous substances at creek sites near Toledo. These creeks flow into Maumee Bay in Lake Erie and are key habitats for fish and birds. Officials say a federal judge must approve the deal before it takes effect. I'm Tracy Townsend. New Ohio State University President Dr. Ted Carter Jr. met with students on the first day of the new semester. He says he wants to prioritize student safety, touching on things like hate on college campuses and a wave of tension following the Israel and Hamas war. He says he wants to expand on the work already being done to make sure students feel safe. We're going to continue to look and make sure that we are using every resource possible to make sure that we're not only safe on campus, but to the perimeter of our campus. One big hire he will have to make is Ohio State's next athletic director. I'm Yolanda Harris. Ten University of Finley students are the recipients of scholarships through the Business Affiliate Scholarship Program. This university program offers academic scholarships to Euler students who have graduated from a Hancock County high school or who are employed by Hancock County businesses. See the list of scholarship recipients in this story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, the Ohio Homebuyer Plus program is now officially up and running. You may have heard about this in the news a couple of weeks ago. It's designed to help people afford their piece of the American dream. And State Treasurer Robert Sprague joins us this morning with the details. Ms. Sprague, where did this idea come from? Give us kind of the background on this program and, and making it happen. Well, Chris, you said it best. It's, we're trying to help people own their piece of the American dream. But for a lot of people, that dream is out of reach now. The home prices have skyrocketed. I can't remember a time when houses have been more expensive than they are right now. And since COVID hit, the interest rates, the mortgage rates, have gone you know more than double. And so I think that home buyers at this point um, are discouraged. Uh, they've been priced out of the market. I saw one study that said that you have to earn almost 50% more now than you did before the COVID-19 in order to be able to afford the same house. And so we know that the future of Ohio is dependent upon us being able to keep families here and particularly young families. And so we want to, that's the purpose of our Ohio Homebuyer Plus savings account. We want to try to help them afford uh, their dream and and realize their dream of home ownership here in the state of Ohio. Now, the concept here is not new. Ohio has other programs that are based on this same idea of enhanced interest savings accounts. This is actually one of the first times that we have been able to enhance and use the power of our balance sheet to enhance savings for Ohio consumers. And so all they have to do to open up one of these Ohio Homebuyer Plus savings accounts is they can work with a financial institution that's signed up for our program and go to that local financial institution and open up one of these great savings accounts. And we'll give them an enhanced interest rate over 2.5% additional interest to grow their savings faster to be able to afford uh, either a down payment or the closing costs on a new home. Where does the enhanced interest come from? Is this taxpayer money that's being used to supplement the return in these accounts? It is. We actually use the power of our balance sheet, and we put a deposit at that local financial institution behind the scenes, 
And instead of taking all of uh, the interest from that deposit into the state treasury, we allow some of it to accrue to that home buyer to help them grow their savings faster. I guess the question I'm asking, what I'm wondering is if taxpayer money is being used, does that shortchange the state in any way? Um, it certainly is an opportunity cost in terms of we would have earned uh, that interest otherwise. But I think it's a great and wise investment in the future of our state because it helps Ohioans realize their dream of home ownership here in the state of Ohio and hopefully gets their families to stay here. And in addition to that, they also get an income tax uh, deduction from the state of Ohio uh, for the deposits that they're making into that Ohio Home Buyer Plus savings account. So there are some basic requirements to open up one of these Homebuyer Plus accounts. Of course, you have to be an adult in Ohio, an Ohio resident, have an existing primary residence in the state, and the proceeds from the account can only be used for this specific purpose. That's pretty much it, though, right? That's pretty much it. And uh, if you want to participate, you can go to www.ohiotreasure.gov and get the current list of participating financial institutions and more information on how to get started. But essentially, you just walk into the doors of those participating financial institutions, banks or credit unions, and uh, open up one of these accounts. It's pretty simple. And uh, we'll do all the hard work behind the scenes. Now, are you required to use those funds within a set period of time? You do. You have to buy a house within five years to be able to use those funds. And does this work like, say, the College 529 plan where anyone can open up, I can set up one of these for my child, or anyone can put money into the account, that kind of thing? Uh, There's an opportunity for other people to put money into the account. You'll have to go to our website. That's a little bit more complex to learn how to do that. But uh, yes, there's advantages and certainly your family members can participate and help you. Let's play devil's advocate here. Uh, what if I were to open a Homebuyer Plus account and later my plans change? Maybe I get transferred out of state or I'm forced to change jobs and can no longer afford to buy a home within that time frame. Or if there's a medical emergency where I'm in need of cash to pay my bills, what are the options if my situation changes after I open one of these accounts? Well, if an account holder's circumstances change or if they move out of state, they keep all the money that's been saved as well as the interest accrued on their account. And uh, they'll have obviously some income tax implications. They'll have to repay the income tax deduction, but all that is explained in the fine print. So there are some options you're not necessarily locked in. I just want to, I can, I can envision somebody asking that question and thinking maybe this is not for me because it, it sounds like what you're trying to do here is make this as accessible and as flexible for as many people as possible, ultimately. Well, ultimately, what we're really trying to do is help people uh, afford a home here in the state of Ohio. We think it's critical to the future of our state. And uh, we want to help people realize that dream of home ownership. So as we said, the program is up and running now. There are relatively few institutions participating at this point, but you do expect more to come on board. We have eight participating financial institutions at this moment, but I'll tell you the interest in all of the financial institutions across the state of Ohio is very high in this program. They love this program because ultimately they know that it's going to help 
consumers in the state of Ohio is going to help their customers. And so we're very optimistic that a lot more financial institutions will sign up. And as you were alluding to earlier, uh, applying for and opening one of these accounts is actually done through completely through the uh, financial institution. It's not uh, it's not done through the state, right? That's right. Uh, you go into this to 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 uh, one of the participating financial institutions, and you open up an account there. I think it's uh, going to be pretty painless. And again, we'll do all the hard work and the plumbing behind the scenes. And by the way, there is no requirement that you eventually take a mortgage loan from the same institution you open an account with, correct? No, there's no requirement like that. You just need to use the money for a down payment or closing costs in a primary home here in the state of Ohio. So is this an ongoing program or is this uh, sort of a pilot program for a set amount of time to try it out, see if it works? Our hope is that as long as Ohioans need help and want to realize that dream of home ownership in the state of Ohio, that this program will be there to help them. So again, the Ohio Homebuyer Plus program, uh, an enhanced savings account vehicle that will allow people to more rapidly save for the down payment or closing costs on a home. Uh, up and running now, Robert Sprague, state treasurer with us uh, this morning. And you mentioned the website where folks can get more information. Uh, mention that again. That's right. Just go to www.ohiotreasurer.gov for a current list of participating financial institutions and the, all the information uh, that you need in order to open up one of these accounts. Treasurer Robert Sprague, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. So now the latest in our ongoing series of crime prevention conversations. Finley Police Department Crime Prevention Officer uh, Brian White is uh, with us this morning and uh, this is actually really timely because we got this uh, blast of winter weather yesterday looks like we're gonna get this big arctic blast over the next several days gonna get uh, really cold and uh, we were talking a little bit yesterday about uh, some of the importance of making sure that your uh, car is uh, properly maintained and ready to go for the the winter weather I want to talk a little bit more about playing it safe on the road uh, during this time of year yesterday uh, as we know, we didn't have to uh, issue one of those uh, level alerts or anything like that. It didn't Correct. get quite that bad. But uh, more than likely, there's going to be a, a time this winter where we'll get that. Can you really be arrested if you are on the road when it is really bad out? So, yeah, the, the law does allow for um, law enforcement agencies to take some kind of action if someone is out on a, uh, say, level three emergency and they're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Usually, does that happen? No. It's more of a heads up to everyone to let them know that the roads are that bad mm-hmm. and not to be out there because, yeah. one, they're putting themselves in jeopardy. And, two, it's a hindering safety services, especially right. if they were to break down and now we have to go uh, resort, you know, yeah. track them down. Yeah. As I've as has been explained to me, you're not out there looking to arrest people, but if they get themselves into a situation where they you get this big response required that may be something that you end up getting cited for. That, that, that that's correct that's not something that we're out there looking for right, right. usually we have better stuff to do in cases like that mm-hmm. but it, again it's just to keep people from being out on the roads yeah so let's talk a little bit about what those levels mean first of all i know that's something that the sheriff's department yep. uh, issues 
not so much, but it does cover the city of Findlay and the entirety of Hancock County. So Absolutely. what do those things actually mean? Sure. When we're talking about level one, we're just talking about the roads are um, hazardous, right? Uh, and to drive with care. That, that's really the big thing. Just yeah. kind of giving people an alert that it's a little kind of outside a the normal, right? Usually there's going to be to- or, um, trucks out salting the roadways, plowing the roads things of that nature. When we're getting up to level three, that is where we don't want any non-essential traffic out on the roadways. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, that's where you want to call your employer, find out, do I really need to be uh, coming into work? Is Can we make other arrangements, those kind of things? And you know, Sure. And it's always good to have those discussions beforehand. Um, right. Many workplaces, they have their own little policy on mm-hmm. If a level three is issued, uh, work will not uh, happen this day, right? Mm-hmm. So if we know that policy in advance, kind of gives us a heads up. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about those times when you do find yourself, you do have to be out uh, on the road. So we were mentioning yesterday, want to make sure that your car is well-maintained and, and uh, all of that. But there are an, a lot of things that we can do proactively uh, to make sure, especially with the kind of uh, cold that we've got. I would imagine that uh, in terms of safety, it's as much the cold as it is the snow and the ice and everything else. Really, that's the the bigger concern, right? Yeah. Uh, because the, the cold is what can kill people. Now, really, it starts out with uh, vehicle maintenance, right? We want to make sure our cars, our vehicles are in good shape. Mm-hmm. And that starts out with uh, good weather. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to get the oil change ahead of time. You want to check uh, all the light bulbs, uh, windshield wipers, tires, things like that. Mm-hmm. That way you're ready to go when bad weather does hit. Your battery. Your, your ba- absolutely, your battery, right? Yeah. Last thing you want to do is uh, be stranded with a, a dead battery. Right, right. Uh, so then beyond those things, when the car, we know the car is reliable and it's maintained properly, uh, what are the things that that we can do to make sure that we are safe in the event that we do find ourselves stranded? Okay, so that's where we talk about uh, supplies, right? We want to have basic supplies to kind of get us through. And that starts with an emergency kit. Uh, it can be things like a blanket, uh, sleeping bags to keep us warm. Uh, if our car does break down, you want to stay with the car. Because most of the time, it's going to be a well-traveled road. There's going to be people that can stop and help mm-hmm. uh, or at least contact law enforcement. Yeah, Have some kind of uh, flag that sticks out, say like a bright orange or red flag. That way people can tell that there's some kind of emergency and they're going to call someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, food, water, things like that are all handy to have. Jumper cables. It's amazing how many times people have a car that uh, battery dies and... No jumper yeah, cables. No jumper right? cables. Yep. And I've, I've been guilty of that myself. Uh, we, yep. We've all been there one time or another, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I actually purchased for myself is a small little battery pack. Uh, it provides for about, you know, five or six uh, jumps of a vehicle, but it's about the size of a cell phone. Yeah. And speaking of which, uh, you want to have your phone available and a charger. That's the other thing. Absolutely. And that's one of the beauties of uh, these power packs is that they can serve as a phone charger as well. Mm -hmm. You can charge multiple devices with it. Yeah. Um, In the days before cell phones, one of the pieces of advice was always to make sure that somebody knows where you are, where you're going to be, and how you're getting there so that if you don't show up where you're supposed to be, they know uh, kind of – they know your routes. They can track your route right. find you. It's probably still not a bad idea. Correct, and that's something we still advise. It's always good to let people know uh, when to be expected, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Because you never know – 
if you might not be able to get uh, cell service for one reason or another, or the phone might die. Something that, like absolutely. That. Uh, if we're taking a, a less traveled road, so to speak, maybe in uh, the, the countryside. And that's really where this becomes more of a concern because we're talking about less traffic and less people available to help mm-hmm. us if we need it. And generally, those are the roads that drift and you know can become hazardous more quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anything else that, that people need to keep in mind this time of year uh, to make sure that they stay safe uh, with this uh, winter weather, especially on the, the, roads. the biggest thing would be driving itself, right? So if you don't have to be out on the roads when they're particularly nasty, don't be, right? I mean, there's no reason to risk it, uh, as well as crashes. Obviously, we're out there handling a lot of car crashes come the winter months. Uh, and along those same lines, if you do have to be out, leave yourself some extra time. Uh, slow down don't get in a big hurry a lot of people are running late especially after having to scrape uh, the ice out the windows right so maybe get out there and scrape a little bit sooner yeah uh so many just basic tips things that we've heard time and time again but it it always seems and i'm sure you experienced this as well we were talking about it yesterday when we uh, had the the snow and the slush that the first time people uh the first you know big blast of winter weather seems like we have to relearn all these things all over again. Correct. correct. And it's something else that people tend to forget is uh, the amount of time that goes into clearing the windshields, right? Mm-hmm. You won't, yeah. We see a lot of people with uh, just a little hole in the window that they're trying to look through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, don't do not do that. It decreases visibility and makes it more likely you're going to be involved in a crash. Yeah. Uh, basically, paying attention to all of the advisories and warnings and, you know, using good judgment uh, when you're when you're out. Yeah, the, the weather forecasts are so good these days that it gives us a really good depiction of what's going to be happening in three and four days. So we, we can kind of plan in advance for a lot of these trips that we need to make. Yeah. Again, uh, Finley Police Department uh, Crime Prevention Officer Brian White with us this morning talking about safe driving uh, during the winter season because we got that, you know, kind of jolt yesterday. Uh, we're going to get those cold temperatures over the next several days, and we still have several weeks of uh, winter to navigate yet. Uh, Brian, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. As always. Well, you remember toward the end of the year, we were talking about the deadline to sign up for insurance through the healthcare.gov exchange. That was the deadline to have coverage to start the first of the year. The final deadline to sign up for 2024 is actually coming up. January 16th is the date. I know it can be a bit confusing, so joining us this morning to help sort out some of the details here is Catherine Hempstead. She is Senior Policy Advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Catherine, what are some of the most common questions that come up in these final days before this absolute final deadline here? Well, hi. Thanks for having me, and it's great to make sure that your listeners are aware of this coming this deadline that's coming because this is the end of the open enrollment period for 2024 so uh, missing this means that you may have to wait uh, almost another year to sign up for coverage again so it is it is very important that people pay attention to this deadline i think people have questions about where to go for help so in ohio as you mentioned you use the federal platform so you want to go to healthcare.gov that's a website that would allow people to look at plans that they could potentially enroll in and some people just can take care of the whole business online themselves but lots of people like to work with an insurance broker so you can get a referral to a broker or to someone else who can assist you there's also a call center so i think that healthcare.gov is a great starting place to get all kinds of questions answered and people can get help in different ways 
And as we have pointed out in the past, bears repeating, the Inflation Reduction Act actually supports the health care plans that are offered through the marketplace. Yes, that's a really important point. The Inflation Reduction Act extended some tax credit changes that had been put in effect previously and extended them through the end of 2025, and hopefully they'll be extended again. And what they do is make the plans more affordable to a broader group of consumers. They allow people with higher incomes to be eligible for tax credits which was not the case before, and it makes those tax credits bigger across the board. So people that may have looked a couple of years ago and said, gee, you know, it's not very affordable, I really encourage people to go back because the plans have become a lot more affordable since then. And as a result, we've seen enrollment really growing in recent years. In Ohio, in fact, enrollment grew 13% in 2023 versus the year before. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, I think we're on track for kinds of kind of similar increases this year. It also uh, is important, is significant, because folks remember several months ago, we talked about the end of uh, continuous coverage under Medicaid uh, that was put in place during the pandemic, and that came to an end. And obviously, that makes this open enrollment period even more important, more essential for those who are looking for health care coverage that may have lost it when that Medicaid continuous coverage provision expired. That's right. And that is an, an important group of people that should be paying special attention to this. If, if you lost Medicaid coverage because your income was too high, and you don't have an offer from an employer or from a spouse's employer or a parent's employer, there's a really good chance that you're eligible for coverage in the marketplace. So um, I, I think that people in that situation in particular ought to be taking advantage of the opportunity to, to look for a plan. Let me ask you this for the, the benefit of those who may have been faced with sharp increases in their existing coverage through an employer and just decided that they couldn't swing it this year. Um, are, are those, can, can those people purchase uh, plans through the exchange if they have opted out of an employer-based uh, offering? That's a great question that comes up a lot. If your offer from an employer is deemed affordable and that's, you know, um, you know, based on how much it costs as a percent of your income. So that's that's not a subjective decision. But if it's if it is considered to be affordable, then no, you're not. You you have to either take that or leave it, and you can't get a, t- a tax credit in the right. But considered uh, unaffordable, yeah, then you can. Yeah, and uh, there is. <laughs> chances are good if you opted out because it was too expensive for you to be able to afford, then there's a good chance that it may qualify as unaffordable insurance under those guidelines, and you may also be eligible uh, through the exchange. It may be. If if your employer is a large employer, they're under pressure to provide affordable coverage because they're facing a mandate to provide coverage. But a lot of times the coverage provided to dependents and family members is, is much less generous than the coverage provided to the employee, and and that may be considered unaffordable. And in fact, um, that was, I mean, this is really in the weeds, but that's another recent change that was made in marketplace rules, uh, the 
family glitch clause, which now allows you to be mm. able to say the, the offer of dependent coverage is unaffordable, even if the offer to the employee is affordable, yeah. which means that then family members can go to the marketplace, even if the employee sticks with the employer offer. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of in the weeds, but a lot of times there is a big difference in the affordability of the coverage for dependents versus the affordable, the employee. Yeah. Lots of times, or sometimes at least, especially in smaller companies, the employer doesn't really uh, pay any of the costs of yeah. dependent coverage, in which case you may be better off in the marketplace um, for sure. So, so that would be, uh, you know, a thing that you would bring to healthcare.gov and, and have them kind of weigh in on whether or not your employer offer for either an employee or a dependence is affordable. The point being that uh, this may be a viable option that you hadn't thought of in many different situations. And again, there may be assistance available. The goal here, obviously, going back to the launch of the exchange, was to get every Every American covered. Ultimately, we're not there yet. That's right. We're not there yet. But has it? (laughs) But has it delivered? I mean, uh, can you say that we are? uh, I don't want to say satisfied with where we are now. But what kind of a verdict would you render where we are now based on that goal when all of this launched? I think we've made a lot of progress. I think the fact that a few big states still haven't expanded Medicaid is, you know, is definitely something that's holding us back, you know, from from having all of the coverage gain that that we could have. But the but the marketplace, which, you know, seemed like it wasn't thriving at first, has really, um, really hit its stride now. And I think it, it it may well exceed 20 million enrollees this year, which would really be something. And when you think about our system which was kind of built around employer coverage, you know, to employer coverage, we added Medicare and Medicaid. But if you weren't eligible for either of those plans and you didn't get an offer from an employer, you were really out of luck before the ACA. So I think the, the individual market as it, as it is now is filled a gaping hole that, that we had in our coverage infrastructure. So between that and all the Medicaid expansion that's occurred, we've made a lot of progress with uninsurance you know, problems, problems remain. And for a while, one of the problems was that a lot of people found the marketplace plans were not affordable and didn't, didn't enroll, even though they were eligible. But now I think the, the recent changes have really improved the affordability. So, you know, I think, I think it, it really helps. I mean, if you were starting all over again, would you design a system like ours? I think the answer is no, but I think this is a really, really important policy that that covers a lot of people i know one of the other goals of the exchange and the affordable care act again at the outset was to improve health equity uh, among uh, all groups of americans has that been successful well, it's it's definitely improved. I mean, I think it's it's a really essential component of an equitable society that everybody's covered because you know people that aren't covered are so vulnerable, both from a from a health perspective and and financially. And you know, and as we learned during the pandemic, our health is all interdependent. So there are lots of impacts on everybody if our neighbors are not able to access healthcare. And there's there's a really clear equity component where we you know we have. Um, historically seen populations of color less likely to have coverage and, and low-income people less likely to have coverage. And and those those differences are still, 
you know, in place, but they're smaller. We've, we've reduced the racial gap in uninsurance thanks to the Affordable Care Act and with, with increased coverage across the board. But I think to, to really improve on that dimension of health equity, it's really important that, that everybody be covered. Again, uh, Catherine Hempstead is Senior Policy Advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. A reminder that the final deadline to sign up for coverage through the healthcare.gov exchange is right around the corner now, January 16th. Catherine, thanks very much for taking the time, sharing your perspective. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing this news with your listeners. Appreciate the opportunity. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Here is our dumb criminal of the day. It is the Florida man who is accused of stealing $400 worth of crab legs and two cans of cat food from a Deltona area Winn-Dixie grocery store. $400 worth of crab legs and two cans of cat food. 33-year-old Kurt Beck was uh, spotted by Soar Security leaving the store with uh, several bags of uh, crab legs. He was detained and uh, arrested for shoplifting. This happened Friday morning. Uh, He was reportedly aided by another man who was supposed to drive the getaway vehicle. Keyword, supposed to drive the getaway vehicle. Um, But unfortunately for them, their vehicle didn't start. (laughs) I thought what the other part of this story, uh, Mr., uh, Mr. Beck, is a very responsible thief. Uh, He had to enlist the aid of an accomplice, a getaway car driver, he said, because his license had been suspended. (laughs) He didn't want to drive on a suspended license. He had no problem shoplifting crab legs and cat food from the store, but he didn't want to drive on a suspended license. Because, you know, he has a conscience. And so he enlisted the help of a uh, friend, but the uh, friend's car wouldn't start. So they were not able to make their getaway. He, uh, when, when deputies questioned him, he ultimately broke down and confessed that he knew what he did was wrong. <laughs> you know it was wrong just because you got caught, or do you know that it was wrong? That's, are you sorry because you got caught, or are you just sorry? <laughs> A lot of things went wrong for uh, Mr. Beck there. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, in Tempe, Arizona, the Lost Our Home Pet Rescue Animal Shelter posted a riveting case uh, of Paw in Order on their uh, Facebook page. Paw in Order. Paw in Order. Paw in Order. Jody Polanski, the uh, founder and director of the uh, shelter, says she received an alert that the security system had been triggered late one night. Middle of the night, she gets an alert that her security system has gone off, thinking that maybe she had an intruder. Uh, She obviously was very concerned, but uh, the security cameras didn't show an intruder. What they did show was a dog named King escaping his kennel and opening the door with his paw. And the motive for his escape, he wanted to steal some extra food. The uh, police officer who responded to the alarm arrived on the scene 
only to find that King wanted to play. <laughs> it was a, oh, somebody's here to play. The responding officer put King back into his kennel and uh, helped clean up the mess uh, going above and beyond. <laughs> All's well. This ends well. It's a breakout at the animal shelter. Wanted some food. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else is going on in the uh, broken news? Two women uh, stand accused of using false information to buy a car from a automobile dealership in Utah. They were arrested this Friday, this past Friday, after trying to execute the same scam a week after pulling off the first one. It worked It worked great the first time, so let's go back. Um, well, they had only gotten one car, and it's a pair of uh, women, so it's like, I want a car too, so they tried to pull off the same scam. The problem was they tried to scam the same dealership. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. The dealership became suspicious a few days after the initial purchase, when Lorene Nicole Willis, age 36, and Gabrielle Marie Baker, age 33, failed to make a timely down payment. According to court documents, the women were placed under arrest after allegedly returning to the same dealership to buy a second vehicle using false names. Uh, A search turned up three small bags with a black tar-like substance that later field-tested as heroin, according to arrest documents. The women now face a laundry list of charges, including uh, producing or transferring false identification, theft by deception, forgery, and making a false credit report. Ms. Willis also charged for possession of drug paraphernalia. They're in a whole lot of trouble. You got a car. Why can't I get a car? Let's go back. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Speaking of automobiles, the broken news, a suspected street racer is out on bail following his arrest on Saturday. Uh, Bear County deputies arrested Leonard Estrada for racing. Uh, Deputies spotted Mr. Estrada's Porsche and another car racing along I-10 at speeds of over 100 miles an hour. When they pulled Mr. Estrada over, they discovered he had his child in the back seat. His child was along for the ride at 100 miles an hour. The six-year-old in the back seat was not in a child safety seat. <laughs> he was in a seat belt, though, so there was that. Mr. Estrada is charged with racing on a highway and child endangerment. Deputies seized his Porsche. Apparently the other car got away, but... (laughs) And his child with him. Not going to be father of the year. Not going to be a candidate for father of the year. Uh, This woman is not going to be a nominee for mother of the year either, and this is a little closer to home in Struthers, Ohio, which is... Suburban Youngstown. Uh, Skylar Secre <laughs> is being sentenced after her two young children were found on the roof of their home. This happened back in October. Uh, Ms. Secre was charged with child endangerment after neighbors called police to report her four and five year old 
were on the roof of her home. Now, the story doesn't say how they got there. Uh, it just goes on to say that she uh, pleaded guilty to a charge of disorderly conduct and has been sentenced to 10 days in jail and one year of probation. The children were not injured. But how they got up there is a mystery. On the roof of the home. Not mother of the year. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this is your uh, viral internet story of the day. woman named uh, Lindsay Bennett has gone viral on TikTok after apparently accidentally ordering a $2,400 cocktail after misreading the bar menu. She, she thought the drink would cost $24, but... It ended up costing $2,400. Ms. Bennett, a woman from Ireland, was spending the night out in London when she ordered the drink at the hotel bar. Uh, after the bartender raved about this you know, great cocktail they had, she placed the order, not realizing that it was not $24, 24.00, but $2,400. And I... You know, translating that into American dollars, it was obviously in British pounds. But uh, the cocktail contained Cristal, a 30-year-old cognac, and gold leaf. After $2,400 after she had the drink, she was shocked when she saw the cost. She said, I can't afford to pay that. Fortunately, the manager of the hotel did not make her settle up the tab. Uh, which is incredibly generous of the hotel. Um, the uh, manager of their hotel said that they would uh, provide more training to the bartender, <laughs> make sure that they're very clear with patrons as to how much this drink costs. And the next night, uh, he referred to the woman as, quote, the girl who made us open the crystal. <laughs> wow, $2,400. I mean, I've had that happen when the bill came and it was more than I anticipated, but that's pretty extreme. There you go. That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Just about anyone who has ever tried to land a new job after the age of about 40 has probably run into the issue of age discrimination. The prevailing mindset of many companies that they would rather hire young people straight out of college than someone older. And they do this, they have this mindset for a variety of reasons. It is one of the biggest challenges for those looking for work after a certain age. But here is the good news if you fall into that age category that may be changing. In a recent survey that was interestingly commissioned by Intelligent, which is an online magazine focused on student life, 
What they found is that 39% of employers actually say they prefer hiring older job seekers as opposed to recent college graduates. They prefer hiring older workers. And this is a shift. The preference stems from perceived issues with young professionals' first impressions during job interviews these days, such as lack of eye contact, unreasonable compensation demands, inappropriate attire, and in some cases, (laughs) employers say that uh, job candidates will bring their parents to to their interviews. The young people today bringing their parents to the job interview. According to Business Insider, employer, employers expressing a preference for hiring older candidates are willing to offer more benefits. 60% willing to offer more benefits to older workers. 59% say they're willing to uh, offer higher salaries to older workers. 48% say that uh, older workers are more likely to get remote or hybrid working opportunities. And 46% of these employers say they are open open to hiring overqualified candidates, which used to be seen as a negative, but not anymore. Additionally, employers noted concerns about young professionals being perceived as entitled. 63% describe young candidates that way. 58% say they are easily offended. And 60% say they are unprepared for the workforce. They also cite poor communication skills and difficulty responding to feedback. The survey suggests that as Gen Z enters the workforce, some employers are wary of their adaptability to corporate life, prompting additional soft skills training in major firms. They're actually taking the initiative, providing that soft skills training. I want to tell you about something really cool. It's going to be happening next Saturday at Bowling Green State University. The Falcons take on Western Michigan at the Stroh Center. They're going to be honoring the late Bill Frack, Findlay native and legendary benefactor to the Falcons basketball program. And uh, BGSU athletic director Derek Vandermeer is with us uh, on the line uh, this morning. I know there are a lot of folks uh, around the area uh, who know Bill Frack's uh, story, but for the benefit of those who are not familiar, I'll let you uh, explain why uh, he is so uh, beloved by the uh, uh, BGSU uh, athletics uh, department and uh, why his is a legacy worth celebrating, Derek. Yeah, well, thank you. I, you know, I'm going to tell, I, I, I didn't know Bill personally. I've, I know him through so many people that are from Finley that mm-hmm. have shared with me stories and narratives about his past and his history. Um, but as a um, an individual that um, you know went to Bowling Green, a person that was uh, worked in Finley, you know, obviously uh, built his business and um, had great success um, in the Finley area, but was a very uh, humble man, a man who um, didn't flaunt what he had. Uh, he was very proud of his um, you know his commitment to the university, very proud of what uh, Bowling Green achieved. He was probably the, the most notable stories I hear. Are, is an individual that was very proud of uh, when Bowling Green would win big games um, in the sense of take on larger institutions with me- more resources and, mm-hmm. um, you know, had every right to win or would be in position to win championships. And yeah. Bowling Green would swing above its belt and and, uh, and win big games. And it was always 
very proud of the fact when the underdog kind of overachieved and yeah. would, uh, you know, would have success. And so that was his legacy. And he became a great friend to our program and to generations of coaches and student athletes and was always just viewed as a person that there was no one more passionate, more loyal and more committed to what Bowling Green and the Falcons were achieving. And, uh, you know, it's a person that, you know, nobody probably for, you know, fully understood, uh, you know, his financial capacity, but embraced him because of his love and passion. Uh, for the Falcons. And then over the years, uh, you know, he became a little bit more generous. And then upon his passing, uh, you know, left a significant sum uh, to the university that surprised many. But no one no one uh, disputed the fact of how generous and committed he was to Bowling Green and to this great university. Yeah, I, I think uh, the uh, quote that I remember hearing from uh, Bill is, uh, if, uh, if Gonzaga can do it, if Butler can do it, then by golly, Bowling Green can do it as well. And he wanted to make sure that uh, the basketball program, of which he was a tremendous fan, had those resources to be able to attract talent and uh, really put their best foot forward on the basketball court. You know, I think it's more the, um, you know, Bowling Green students, uh, the Bowling Green University is a, is a university that um, graduates exceptional students and um, they're well-placed and own businesses and companies and their CEOs and CFOs across the country, and I meet these people all the time. And I think that he um, he latched on to this sort of this uh, ethos that um, we're just as good as anybody else, right. and he wanted to ensure that we he financially positioned the program for success. Um, and that's something that I've taken to heart very, very personally. I believe I have a great, great responsibility to live up to that legacy. Um, you know, it's um, resources are one, great leadership, great people. He's a person in great, he, he embraced great student athletes, he embraced great coaches. That's something that I'm, I feel a great sense of responsibility to because I think that that gift deserves to have um, someone that's championing and fighting for what he believed each and every day. You know, the endowment that he left to Bowling Green State University to the athletic program was uh, earmarked for the basketball program because uh, that was his passion. Uh, but would it be fair to say that it really, it's kind of a, a rising tide lifts all boats. It allows uh, resources to be spread among all of the programs. It really benefits the entire athletic, uh, all athletic programs at the university. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's when anybody invests in one area as heavily as he did, it helps us to, then support resources that support other programs. I think his program, his gift to men's basketball has benefited the growth of our women's basketball program. Mm-hmm. Our women's basketball program has had great success. And, you know, it's, it's, it's helped us to complement through the growth of other investments that we've been able to make because of that to support the, the growth of the enterprise itself and supporting both male and female student athletes. Now, uh, we mentioned this uh, recognition will happen next Saturday uh, with the uh, game against uh, Western Michigan. Tell us uh, more about uh, what will be happening on Saturday to uh, honor Bill and his legacy. Well, we, what we've done is, you know, there's so many generations of basketball players that, that remember Bill. What we're trying to design moving forward is, one, we want to effectively recognize him in-game. We want people in our community to be well-educated and informed as to what his contribution was, but also to who he was as a person. Uh, I don't, we want the legacy of what is Bill Frack to live in perpetuity um, through how we tell his story, because it's a humble story. It, it's a commitment um, to an idea of who we should be and what we should be and, and how we should approach business every day, but then also making sure 
that we we bring in people that are that know him that can help tell that story. So last year we did a reception before the game. Uh, we've invited people from Finley. Uh, we invited community members um, uh, that obviously are connected to the Finley Hancock Community Foundation. That was when that's primarily where the gift was went goes to and then comes back to the university mm-hmm. that other supports other community initiatives um, in the Finley area um, because he was very very philanthropically committed to that community there and wanted it to be successful. And so we want to make sure that the, the people that were part of that story are always part of it. But we've also connected with it an alumni event now annually, too, where we invite all of our basketball alums and we're trying to grow the people that you know were part of the past to really support and help us build the future. It's one thing that I always say to our student athletes and to our alum is that the past will build the future. If you respect the past, if you take the time to really make sure that the past is recognized, it helps you to build a philosophy of how do you support growth in the future. If you're always moving past and you forget the people that got you there, then unfortunately you don't realize, you ever, you'll never get to the, the, the finish line that you're chasing. Mm-hmm. And so we want to make sure that the past is taken care of and how we're building this program moving forward. And uh, as far as the game itself, this is a this is a big game uh, in the race for the regular season uh, MAC championship. Both uh, the Falcons and Western Michigan are right in the thick of it. So this is a, yeah. a, a big significant game and boy, wouldn't Bill be thrilled with that? Yeah, it's time. It's time that our basketball program be positioned for continued success and to really support and and, um, and really be a, a great statement as to what that gift really meant to this program. We have a we have a great coach in Todd Simon, a great team that's been restructured uh, going into this year. We're going to be competing at the top of the league, and this this game matters. It matters significantly. Western is competing very well. Uh, we're going to break through and compete at the top of this league here in this next two to three weeks. And as we start to develop this program, as they start to get into a rhythm, it's pretty much a new team compared to what we were last year. Most of the members of the team have transitioned, and uh, we're pretty excited about the way we've currently been competing up until this point in the season. Uh, again, it is next Saturday at the Stroh Center on the campus of Bowling Green State University. Uh, the uh, Falcons taking on Western Michigan. Tip-off is 2 o'clock, and it is a great game if you uh, get the chance to get there and uh, support Bill Frack and support the Falcons uh, for a uh, uh, continued terrific season. Uh, it is great stuff, and uh, what a legacy uh, he has built, uh, helped build uh, with the Falcons uh, basketball program. Again, uh, BGSU Athletic Director Derek Vandermeer with us this morning. Derek, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much, and if you're in Finley, uh, just go to BGSU Athletics, uh, contact our ticket office. Tell them you're from Finley. We'll give you a ticket discount. We want you there. We want our we want our uh, neighbor sister community there to understand how much we value and appreciate our members that supported Bowling Green over the years. Go Falcons, Derek! Thanks very much. Hi, Ziggy. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Of course, remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, GoodMornings.net. A quick note for the next two weeks, we will not be here taking a little R&R, a little extended vacation. Honestly, I'm getting out of here, getting away from all of this cold weather. We will be back with the next Good Mornings Podcast Edition on Wednesday, January 24th. So until then, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here again soon.